everyone. Welcome to Unpublished. I have a very, very special guest for you today, and that is my wife, my co-host, Amy McNee. Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me on. My absolute pleasure. It's my podcast now, by the way, so <laughs> you can move over. Um, but really, the purpose of today is that, you know, Amy just released her first fiction book. It's available on Amazon. It'll be available on Book Depository, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, basically everything soon. I'll put the links in the description. Um especially where it's available already. And I just wanted to talk to her about her book. Thanks, James. I'm excited. Great. Um, well, I guess... You, it's really over to you. I'm not I leading mean, yeah, this conversation I mean, yeah, it is over to me, right. So I'm, I've, I'm just going to try and be as formal as possible. I'm okay, going to pretend great. I don't know you. Great. So you've been on this journey, Amy, yes. for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really hard because I've literally... I want to refer to my own personal experience. <laughs> you don't have to pretend that you don't okay. know me. Um, I watched you work on this book. Yeah. I have read this book Yeah. a couple of times now, actually, I think. Yeah. I love it. It's awesome. Thank um, you. Something I love about you as a writer is just how fucking funny you are as well. <laughs> I think that's something people will be maybe not surprised by, but that's not a side to yourself that I think you show mm. all the time mm. on Inspired to Write. Um, but you're a really fucking funny person. Thank you, Jamie. Um, and a funny writer. Thank you. I really enjoy writing humour in fiction. I mean, I like it in nonfiction too, but I really enjoy writing funny fiction, funny stories. I love characters who are just a bit left of centre. Uh, I love subverting people's expectations. I really enjoy writing comedy. Yeah, and I mean, not to say that there aren't serious themes in your book, but just that you never let a serious chapter get in the way of some good humor <laughs> thank you i like it Which I love. um so it's been a long road for you to get to this point mm-hmm. you tried to get this book traditionally published mm-hmm. didn't you did. um can you just tell us a little bit more about that journey yeah so i actually finished writing this book probably around four years ago although james you're much better with the kind of time frames here it's good enough okay cool um, I wrote this book, uh, the first draft during NaNoWriMo of 2017, I believe it was. Um, it was a much quicker process than my other book, which had taken me six years to write. And it was just a much, the, the book just kind of flowed out of me. It was a much quicker process for me to, to create this baby. And I started submitting it. I was so proud of it. I just thought, wow, this is really a book that I was meant to write. And I was I was just really resonating with the characters and I was resonating with my the way that I chose to write it. And I submitted it to uh, agents and publishers all over the world. It gathered up a little bit of interest, uh, but all that interest that it did gather up, it faded away. A lot of you who've been on this journey for a long time often tell me that you remember the day um, that the publisher was going to say yes, but then eventually did say no. Well, actually, they've never said no. They just told me to wait patiently. Um, But yeah, it was a wild ride and the rejection really took a toll. And I think it it took a toll I didn't really fully understand uh, until recently where I've really started unpacking the pain that comes with being, you know, I felt so unseen. I felt really stupid and embarrassed um, for believing in something so much and for nobody else being able to see what I saw. For me, it was, you know, a real prime example of, well, I read the book and I just saw how amazing it was and I just had such a good time reading it and it was the first time I really realised how bullshit the industry can be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm looking at this book going, this book should be published. This book is amazing. Like, it's incredible. And obviously, people in the industry like it, but there are all sorts... Then there end up being all sorts of reasons, like marketing and um, 
what's on the books at the moment and things like that that get in the way. Yeah. And how just cluttered and inefficient the industry can be. Yeah. They had a big problem with genre, a few of the agents and publishing houses, because I play with genre and... I have continued to play with genre actually in all the books that I've I've written subsequently. I don't really intend to stop. So it's a book that's set in 1590. No, no, no. That's my next book. It's set in 1534, and it has a modern tone of voice. And fuck that, fuck people up. They were just like, I, why do they sound like that? And I was like, it's. <sighs> you know, it so was intention always, behind what it. What we always talked about when you're writing it was it's a modern translation. Yeah. Just like you know. You don't write a book about ancient Roman Latin. Mm. You don't write a book. You don't have to write a book about medieval evil, uh, medieval England with all of the same language. Language. I mean, not that you don't make an effort to make sure that you're historically accurate and that you have. I mean, it's ex- incredibly well researched. Um, and there's, of course, a lot of the vestige of the lovely language that you hear from medieval people. It's just that, you know, especially Eliza's tone of voice is mm. so relatable to yeah. a modern audience. I mean, what I wanted to do with this book is I wanted to to feel close to characters who have lived really far away from us and to remind us of how similar and, you know, to remind us of our shared humanity and our shared experience with sex in particular and sexuality. Uh, This is a story about, you know, specifically sexual shame and feeling embarrassed about our bodies and feeling embarrassed about desire. And so much of that really hasn't changed uh, from then until now. And so uh, with the language, Eliza has a really modern tone of voice and a modern way of thinking. And I liked that blending of of you know us and them but publishers really couldn't get behind that it really annoys me often when people can't get their head around this because you know i did a lot of latin at university because i'm a nerd Mm. um and as part of that we did a a latin comedy module and we we had to translate uh an old roman play by an author called plautus and it just really once you translated it it just read like a slapstick american comedy like it was just dick jokes and just like (laughs) sex jokes and it was just you know it was so modern yeah um and you know that was the play that we translated was the play that ended up being um uh, comedy of errors by so shakespeare adapted this play into comedy of errors and then that comedy you know comedy of errors has been adapted in the modern time as well it's like you just keep adapting these things and it's like most people are like oh well you know back in in medieval england they they really didn't talk like that and it's like there, people aren't weren't going around. Like, do you think people were going around in the ancient world or in the medieval world talking like in highfalutin? Like, mm. like the ninety nine point nine percent of people weren't like that. Maybe the queen. Yeah. Even then, behind closed doors, who knows? It's like people just were much more relatable than we yes, think they were. Yes, and that's exactly why I wrote my book. Yeah. Like I these as I did, I did my degree in medieval history and I I studied specifically uh, like sexuality, romance, desire, um, medieval pornography, medieval sex work. Like I really have a background in this, and every single time I learned something new, read another primary source, I was like, these people are us. Like there is just so little that separates us. We are so similar. We do the same shit. We have the same issues. We have the same you know, egos that talk about the same shit. And I just loved that. And and exactly what you said with Plautus, like we just, you know, in so many ways we have moved so far, but also we just haven't at all. And I think that's incredibly almost romantic. I love it. And it, it connects me to history. It connects me to past and it connects me to my humanity. And so that was what I was trying to do with the style of it. And I love the style. And I've written two more historical fiction books since then. And I've kept the style. Um, so if that, if you do end up buying the book and reading it, and I'd be really interested to, to hear from you. I'm sure people will have issues with it. I think, you know, if we were to compare it to things, you know, you could compare it to 
um, the Catherine the Great series that was out on TV recently, mm. which was super anachronistic. Like, it was very much Russian, but at the same time, I'm, like, I'm trying to remember details from it, but, you know, it was like she would say stuff that was just... So colloquial. So colloquial, and, and it yeah. was amazing. It was, like, amazing. It was so good. Um, you know, that, when that show came out, I was like, this is exactly the tone that I've written Elizabeth in, and it pissed me off. Yeah. I got felt so angry. There's been a lot of anger on this journey for mm. me, like, real, like, rage, like... And as so many creatives go through this, it can, you know, when we walk this journey and we so vulnerably share our art, a lot of anger comes up. And for me, I was really angry because I just felt so unseen and I felt so undervalued and I felt so embarrassed and I didn't feel like I deserved to feel that way. No, not at all. And really it was because you were outside the box. It's like mm. you weren't fitting into a neat little category mm. and that caused a lot of your problems, which is crazy. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this is art we're talking about. It's art. Like people love to put art in a box and, it's just so much bigger than the bounds of any genre can be, which is why, you know, we always talk about spelling and grammar and everything and like how you can play with that. And you don't have to be amazing. Those things to be a writer. And I think, um, I mean, your whole personality, Amy, is just not giving a fuck about anything. So it's like, of course you weren't going to write a really stale, boring, um, thou art medieval history. Yeah. I'm, I definitely anticipate, especially if the book manages to breach the beautiful community that I have created here, if it manages to get into the hands of, of more traditional historical fiction readers, we'll definitely get some good reads, interviews that are like, why would they say that? It's yeah. like um, if you go on the, like IMDb and look at, um, what's the Heath Ledger movie that I love? Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale is such a great movie. It's very, your book, I feel like, has some resemblance to that, not in the plot but in the style in the style yeah, yeah. and they amalgamate like you know such modern incredible music into that movie which is set in the what the 1400s i think and no early it's chaucer it's like 1200s mm. and the reviews are like oh why would they do it it doesn't make we will rock you was the in the queen no- queen wasn't around in the 1200s like yeah we know <laughs> do you what, did you think that they actually thought queen was around no this that's not the a point mistake. it's a movie <laughs> It's so funny. And also, it, it, it annoys me. I, I remember, as much as I have loved a lot of my writing tutors in the past, like, I really remember having this conversation with one of my writing tutors where she was like, oh, you know, your character's wearing pants. They could only be wearing a tunic in ancient Rome. And I was like, for starters, I've spent seven years of my life studying the ancient world. And I can tell you for certain, like, we don't know shit about fuck. <laughs> you know, who kn- as far as we know, okay, fine. Maybe there's no, so far we ha- don't have archaeological evidence of someone wearing pants. But we don't know they couldn't have been wearing pants. Oh my God, I know. We're so high and mighty. Historians can be, like, and people who are interested in history can be very high and mighty about what we did and didn't do. It's like, we've lost you nine, don't know. We've lost 99.9% of the knowledge from that period, from, yeah. from our past, basically. Yeah, really interesting. Um, which is actually why, so we we got support as we self-published this. Um, we really needed it in terms of just the logistics of it because we've been you know with other creative projects and also we just wanted support and we had the means to uh enroll this beautiful woman named linda from enroll po- employ i don't know james <laughs> i'm so sorry <sighs> this is just i'm just preparing you for people who are n- n- nitpick your me? language in the book that's how i'm gonna react to with huge size and yeah, side eye um, yeah, we employed Linda from Book Buffer, who's just been the, literally the most wonderful, incredible influence and just such an amazing support. Um, but she categorized the genre as romance. Um, so it's in the romance section of Amazon, which I thought was interesting. And it's probably just kind of allowing a bit more space for people to accept that it is a different book and it, it does genre bend. Yeah, I think you want to, I mean, you probably were thinking it more as a pure historical fiction, right? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, that's how I wrote it because I was so entrenched in the history of it. Mm. Um, but it is definitely ro- a romance. Mm. I mean, it does it once again shows the limits of, of genre. Exactly, I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, there's a lot of love, a lot of sex in it. Yeah, but it's not like a bodice ripper. No, it's not erotica. Oh, There's or, nowhere near enough sex in it for it to be erotica. Yeah. And but it's um, it definitely like Eliza's relationships, mm. especially sexual and romantic relationships, define this, her journey so yes, much. Yes, they I definitely think, do. That I can definitely see why romance would be its category. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe romance readers are a little bit more open to the genre bending in itself. Yeah which is yeah. cool. Mm. Romance readers are the bomb. They also buy a shit ton of books. Yeah. And so I'm really about them. Yeah. If you're a romance reader. Yeah. I guess also like to give you. it another comp, another comp title, something like Outlander as well. Yeah. Mind you, you know, she does a, a, a really clever job of making, what's the main character's name in Outlander again? Oh man. The one who, tra- you know, she, she makes the main character Catherine? travel back in time, no, that's not which right. gives a very strong, you know, it's very easy for a reader then to buy into yes the different the languages yeah, that yeah she's speaking a bit more or she has attitudes of a modern person a bit more not that eliza has the attitude of a modern person i would say yeah who knows let's leave it over to the reader to decide i'll be interested to hear feedback yes um mm. sorry i we kind of got a bit of track there about the um, re- rejection and the publication so basically after i was rejected um i stopped um giving my book to publishers i just it was too painful like every time I went back to try and do it again and I did like repeatedly I was like okay let's try and resubmit I just called her Elizabeth then but now her name is the rules upheld by no one I was like let's do it again I could not summon the will to put myself through it again because not only did I feel rejected I felt completely ignored because the submission process to traditional publishing houses like I've worked in a publishing house I know that most of the books don't really get read a lot of the time or you know they might take a year to be read like I felt so inconsequential and as an Enneagram 4 that is there's nothing more painful to me than feeling inconsequential and as a creative feeling like your work is inconsequential is just so painful and I just I couldn't put myself through it again so for four years she just sat there a completed book I had had her edited by a professional an incredible professional and like she was just ready to be seen by the world but I couldn't bring myself to self-publish because I had all these stories that self-publishing meant that I had failed that self-publishing meant that nobody wanted me, that it was giving in to the fact that the only person who would pick me was myself. Um, And I needed to change those narratives and come to terms with the fact that, you know, even though I had been rejected by many publishers, every single day that went on between then and now was a day where I wasn't picking myself. Like, I was rejecting myself every single day that my book wasn't out in the world. And it was a a permission slip for for me to say no i i do choose you amy and i believe this book is going to connect and i believe it's important and so i finally fucking got around to do it with a lot of little tantrums on the way i think it was i mean i'm so proud of you because it was a real dark forest moment for you like you really had to go through so such a massive personal growth journey to get to this point like it just i think four years ago it wouldn't have even been conceivable for you you just need you just were so keen for the gatekeeper's approval four years ago and just seeing the change in you now and like your attitude of i can do this myself your attitude of i am my own publisher i back myself it's just such a transformation it's incredible thank you it's incredible yeah it's been a, it's been a long journey and i went and i am still on the journey to this day there's still a part of my ego that says oh but people out there will know that's what i think you know mm-hmm. they'll know that nobody wanted you 
Um, and I've really got to listen to that story. And as I've said, I was I was on the Right Now podcast yesterday. I was talking about this to Sarah. Like, you know, it's, it's actually harder to pick yourself than it is to make someone pick you. Like the pain that I've been through for the last four years of just learning to choose myself and to know that that's enough has been such a journey, a harder journey than it was begging people to see me. And so when you choose yourself, I just want you to know that that's more profound and more powerful than anyone picking you will ever be. I also just want to remind everyone out there who's on a journey where they're trying to get noticed by gatekeepers that gatekeepers are just regular people. Like they're not, we think that they're some kind of genius pickers Mm. or they have some kind of supernatural ability to just see the best art, but they're just, they don't. They're just normal people. Yeah. Like, and in fact, if anything, artists, I think, are often, I mean, artists are the vulnerable, amazing, cool, special ones. Yeah. Gatekeepers are often maybe people, the shadow in, they're artists. in a shadow career, shadow artists, mm-hmm. they, they don't have the, they don't have the guts or the, they're not vulnerable enough themselves to create or write or do the art. Um, and they're trying to find another way to build a career in the arts because they're too scared. Mm. And then often they're, you know, essentially their job day by day is just to get through their pile of knows as quickly as possible mm. yeah and that's it like they just i mean i so i mean my touch point here is that i've marked a lot of university essays and i used to think that markers of like that university markers were like these perfect objective people and i just realized that like i'm just marking these essays being like uh 80 out of 100 uh. <laughs> like i'm trying my best like i'm trying my absolute best but like i don't know yeah and this is what a lot of people are like yeah, I mean, we, I think this goes for any creative field that you're in. Like, we're always going to be putting these people up on a pedestal who get the power to choose when really they just happen to be there. <laughs> um, they just got uh, given a job, like uh, like any other job. And then their job happens to be that they have, like, life or death over your art mm, or choice over your art, you know, mm, or powers over your art. Yeah. Being pretty negative about gatekeeping, obviously it's a very valid path to go down and I support any of you who are choosing to go down that path, like I really do. Um, But for me, the journey was, I had to pick myself. Like this was just my journey. And you know, it might not be always my journey. I might choose to go down a traditional publishing route down later in my life, but I had to pick myself first. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's what I mean. Like I've got no, I don't think that publishers or I don't think the gatekeepers are bad people. I I just think that we have to just remember that they're regular people. Yes. That's all. Yeah. They don't have like a perfect view of all art and they, they don't always get it right. No, and they often don't even give you a chance. Exactly, yes. Mm. Um, so, well, we've talked a little bit about your creative process, but something that from an outsider's perspective, the difference between you writing your first book where you wrote your first book before I feel like you'd gone on your real creative awakening journey. Yes. And you wrote this book after I feel like you've done a lot of inner work mm. um, when you started your journaling journey as yes. well. And just seeing the difference in how you created, just like all the lessons you learned from the first book, all the lessons you learned through your journaling practice, I could just see them in your how you wrote this book. It was such a more, such an easeful process. It was such an easeful, delightful, wonderful process. Mm. The editing process was a little bit more challenging, as it is always for me, because I'm not as keen on the editing process. But especially that first draft... You know, I was doing, I mean, I was doing NaNoWriMo, but I didn't in any way hit the 50,000 word per November thing. I was doing, you know, 500 to a little bit more than that a day. And I was just cruising through it. And it just felt like I trusted myself again. I'd broken a consistent pattern of self-betrayal. I didn't have ridiculous expectations of myself. I was just enjoying it. And the, the story, I was very lucky, and it actually hasn't happened to me since, the story like flowed out of me. The two books that 
I'm working on a book now that I call Jack and I've written a book called Maud, um, both historical fiction novels. Uh, I haven't been given the narrative or the or the plot like I was gifted the narrative of the rules upheld by no one. I feel like the gods were like, here is the story. You can write it now. And I was like, okay. And I just fucking went for it. I also think like something that really helped that was that you wrote quickly and consistently over it. Obviously not like you wrote consistently over yeah. six months. Like sometimes when we're gifted these ideas and these um, these things from the muses, we sit on them for too long. Mm. I think that's going to be really dangerous, whereas you just acted straight away. I did. Um, it had been like the, the, like a vague thought of this book had been hovering around my mind for like a, a quite a long time. And it was it was in a medieval lecture and they were talking about um, medieval sex workers and how I can't remember the time frame. It actually didn't end up being quite the right time frame for my book. But they wore red and white striped hoods to be identified by the officials or the, you know, like the law enforcement. So sex workers wore these like incredible, they look like night gown hats and they're so absurd looking and like just it was just such an incredible picture in my mind and I was obsessed with it I was like there's a story there um and that's what I had initially and then when I gave my full attention to her the story was just gifted to me that is I mean that has been my experience time and time again I have a seed of an idea and then I just start writing notes on it and then the ones that are going to take and form full novels for me have always been the ones that I just can't stop writing notes on them yeah. over the series over the course of a few weeks like you know I would have been on a dog walk or I would have been going to the shops or something I have to just stop and I have to just write in my Evernote mm. another sentence or two and these ideas just keep bam 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 it's like a chain of them and the more you respond to the chain the more ideas you get yeah it's it requires it's like a like a child or a dog or something like it requires attention and the more attention you give the more attention it will give you it's like do you ever um start remembering start a memory a memory shows something in your brain yeah. you think that's all you remember of it and then like the more you focus on it oh the next bit of the memory comes up then the next bit of the memory comes and then the next bit of the memory comes mm. up and it keeps like slowly you, you're not expecting it yeah but the path keeps filling itself i feel often the same way with writing yeah i agree i've definitely struggled a lot more in the last two books in terms of just figuring out the plot and i i'm not as good at as at you i'm not as good as you when it comes to ideation you're a really strong ideator um I think that I have I have a stricter planning process than you. You do. Where I literally sit down and I and I treat my while I'm in the planning process, I treat that as my phone. My one page of planning is is a 500 word day. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like I feel like you wing it a bit more. Yeah, I guess I do. I get kind of bored. I want to write. Yeah, which is totally valid as well. Mm. Although I'm pretty stuck right now with Jack. So you've been pushing through well though. With some bullshit. <laughs> Oh, well, first draft's meant to be bad. I've been, Amy and I have been reading each other's books a lot lately and helping each other, and it's just such a fun thing to do. It's been so and fun. It's just so funny. You know, Amy's always like, oh, I'm really struggling with Jack. You're going to be so... You think it's so stupid when you read it. And I'm like, I'm reading it. I'm going, girl, this is your fourth book. Like, your crap right now is is amazing, and that's so awesome. It's like so awesome to see someone who has spent 10 years of their life doing this craft and just seeing... Your, what your first drafts are like now compared to what they were in your first book it's incredible thank you I really even though you're my husband I really hear you and I really believe you and I'm very grateful for that feedback I love writing like getting back into fiction writing consistently like I've written now 20,000 words or a bit more of Jack and I just love it I love to tell stories I love to uh, you know get involved in the voices of these characters I love to make funny things happen yeah it's I mean that's so what I was fun. going to talk to you about is you had a break for about a year there from fiction to I write did. nonfiction, mm. uh, where you wrote, you know, the Journal Compendium and the Winnie Drew Art series. Have you like what's the what's the difference? Do you feel like in your process between writing fiction and nonfiction? Do you find it different? 
yeah it's actually really different um fiction to me requires a shit ton more consistency because you're dealing with a world that is in your imagination and touching base with it each day is a huge requirement for me or at least five days a week so that I'm always with the characters with the story understanding the pulse of what's going on otherwise if I leave it too long I can get really distracted whereas non-fiction I feel like especially because I'm writing about creativity and creativity is what I live and breathe like even when I'm not writing I feel like I'm living in the world so it's easy for me to dip in and out of non-fiction and you're um, posting on Instagram every day I'm posting on Instagram every day so you're kind of I journal know, every day like you have a connection to it all the time I do I feel very connected to nonfiction work all the time and I feel like I'm often working on it when I'm when I'm not uh like on the page writing um whereas fiction I do you know daydream about it and stuff but most of the work for me gets done when I'm there on the page with the characters so in that way it's very different um I also always prioritize fiction over nonfiction if I've got them both going at the same time because nonfiction requires less creativity yeah that's interesting I mean I'm it's, I remember, For me. Do you remember that, that um, conversation? I'm just going to throw Henry under the bus here. Our friend Henry, who we're actually going to have on the podcast soon to talk about NFTs. Um, he was like, oh, he's, writing his, he's writing his thesis in um, political science, political philosophy. Um, and he was going, oh, it must be so easy for you guys. Because if you can't, if you're stuck, you can just write anything. <laughs> like fiction so, it must be so much easier. And I'm like, actually, I always find it harder. Yeah, I always find make, it harder it to. It has to make so much sense. Like, if you don't know what you're doing in nonfiction, just do a bit more research. Yeah. Like, that's all you have to do. Whereas you can't just do a bit more research for fiction. Like, the plot either works or it doesn't. And all the holes. Like, there are constant plot holes in real life. It's like, oh, well, you know, the prime minister really didn't act consistently with his character there. And it's just like a massive <laughs> plot hole. It's like, no, like, we're just people. We suck. Like, we never act consistently. It's, of course, the prime minister's being an idiot because they're a person. And they're yeah. like... They're not consistent. It's like, oh, well. But in fiction, it's like, oh, well, I don't think your main character would have done that. And then like, that's considered like a huge plot hole. It's like, well, no one ever does what they're supposed to do. So yeah. you can't just you can't just make stuff up in fiction. You have to do consistent stuff because the standards are so much higher. Yeah. Yeah. We we require something. Um, we require higher standards for our make-believe worlds. In, in nonfiction, discrepancy is interesting. You know? Yes. It's like, oh, what, what is something. that about? And it's telling us something. Whereas in fiction, it's sloppy. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking about, like, today with Gladys Berejiklian's, like, announcement of the the new rules for vaccinated people. And they, remember to remember half our audience is American. Okay. Well, you can tune out. Uh, like second. equivalent of our state governor. Yeah. She just, like, built us up to have these, like, special privileges. And then she just, like, was such, to me, it was just, like, such a eh moment. And if you'd written about it, all the readers would have been like, eh. Basically, she was like, <laughs> Now you can outdoor, you can exercise outdoors with five people rather than two. And it was like, she'd been all week being like, there's something very good coming, very, very good at the end of the week. And yeah, you're right. If you'd written that in a story, people would have been like, what? We're at anticlimax. <laughs> all week, like the plot's been driving up, driving up, driving up, Gladys, every morning. Oh, you know, you're going to get a treat at the end of the week. You're so lucky. And then just like, you can have some extra people when you're outside. Don't go inside your house. You can't be in your backyard. You'd be like, oh. Okay. Bummer. But yeah, so it is interesting. That's personally what I feel. I mean, nonfiction, I think, can take sometimes a little bit more discipline in terms of um, just getting it done. Because if you're not super invested in characters or like, I don't know, you know, it's so interesting. Like they both ebb and flow. You both need discipline for different reasons. And yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, I mean, I love to write nonfiction as well. It's very, but I agree. It's a very different part of the brain. I always find like the language element of nonfiction easier. Like you just, Much you're easier, just saying yeah. something very directly. Whereas 
fiction you have to just layer in so many different things like it's just it's actually so hard <laughs> just <laughs> everyone out there writing fiction just well done yeah it is so hard james finished his second book yesterday night i did yeah so so good thanks I, it was actually i was uh, struggled so much to get there amy ended up sitting me down and going i'm just gonna read it out loud the last three chapters out loud to you tonight and we're gonna finish it and it was awesome i'm so glad and it was actually, really fun i'm just going like wait she was, she was, I was going, wait, did I say that? Okay, wait, go go back, go back. Okay, no, swap that out for this. And then he was just like tapping away there. <laughs> it was really fun. It was really fun. It was a really great way to do. I think it's a really good way to do a last edit. Mm. So you're not too picky and moving things around too much. So someone just reads it to you. Also feel like it gives you a bit of distance having someone read it to you. Definitely. It was so helpful. I'm so glad. All right, Boyo, next question. Okay. Um, I feel like I've asked a lot of them already. Yeah, you've. We've run out. Yeah, I guess I just like, as usual, just prepare I, really poorly. Shall I speak about what the actual book is about? Shall I shall I synopsis it? Can you synopsis? I also thought maybe it's an opportunity for you to read the first page out. But I just don't know. If, do we have a? I can go get it if you want to just chat quickly. Yeah, I'll just bitch about you. Okay, that's good. Back in a sec. So this, the rules upheld by no one is historical fiction slash romance it's set in fifteen. 30, oh fucking hell. You know what? I literally have this date like circled on the front of my notebook with all my historical research because I cannot retain it. It happens in the dissolution of the monastery. So Henry VIII has separated from the Catholic Church and he's dissolving, shutting down all of the monasteries all over England. And this is a story about, you can't find it, Jamesy? Mm, I'm going, I'm just give me another second. Okay, great. Um, I think it might be on the couch. Okay. Um, story about Eliza, who is a noble-born woman uh, whose family have run out of money and there's no money left for her dowry. So she has to go and be in a nunnery. Um, That's what she's decided to do. She has a strong faith. This is where she believes she belongs. Um, And we find out along the journey that she believes she belongs there because she is so ashamed of her desires and her lusts. And she thinks if she's enclosed in a nunnery, she will be safe from her libidinousness. And her uh, sins, essentially. Um, So she ends up in this nunnery. She flees a relationship with her tutor because she knows it's tempting her too much. Um, But then when the nunneries are dissolved, uh, she ends up um, on the streets of London and has an interlude with sex work in the brothels of Southwark on the south of the Thames. Spoiling, spoiling too much at this stage, if you ask me. Well, you know what? The blurb spoils everything. And I was like, is this a good blurb? Is this a good blurb? And everyone was like, yes, it's perfect. And the thing is, you got to think of Amy, the book is much more episodic than it is plot-driven, if that makes sense. So it's much more about the different episodes in, in Eliza's life and mm. how she deals with that and overcomes similar challenges and themes. Mm. It's more of a thematic, episodic book, in my view. I agree. All right. This is really cute. This is practice for my Audible recording in a few weeks' time. Chapter one. It feels like I've pissed myself, moaned Livia. Don't speak like that. The younger sister shouldn't have to reprimand the elder as often as I did, but I couldn't really blame her for the outburst. I could feel drops of sweat between my legs. Why must we sweat? And there of all places. It was ungodly. We will need to cut your hair before you go, Elizabeth. It's far too long. Agnes, my even elder sister, was walking just in front of me. Maybe they'll shave it for you when you get here. When you get there, suggested Livia. I clutched my long red waves. No, my hair was staying. I was just weeks away from my removal to a nunnery, Laycock Abbey. Removal was not quite the right word. I had chosen to go. It suited mother and father financially, and it suited me, spiritually. I was not destined for marriage, like Agnes or Olivia. I was for God. 
it had always been my plan. Mother and father's plan, my plan, and God's plan. There you go. Maybe we could do a special episode where you read the first chapter. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. Thanks, Ames. That's my pleasure. I'm so grateful for everyone who's been on this journey with me. Like, honestly, it has been a wild ride. And and I'm just so grateful wherever you came in on, you know, on this big journey. Some of you have been with me forever. But wherever it is that you've come in to support me, if you've pre-ordered the book or if you intend to, I'm really, like, it's very hard for me to articulate words to really properly un- tell you how appreciative I am of you because I mean you're letting me live the dream you're letting me do what it is that I feel called to do and I'm super fucking grateful yeah we're so grateful for all of you in so many ways I mean like really you all support us both emotionally and financially in so many amazing ways yeah um and we love you so much we do (laughs) we really do um yeah thank you for listening to us thank you for coming on this journey with us yeah thank you for giving us the chance to speak to you and we'll see you next week yeah see you then guys bye